Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Five Spot. I'm your host, Donovan McNabb, joined with Armando Sagaro, And we're able to break down a lot of the games that have happened over the last couple of days and what's coming up in the near future. But let's start right now with that Thursday night game versus the San Francisco 49ers and the New York Giants. Obviously, the big talk right now, as far as the Giants are concerned, is missing Saquon Barkley and what is, what's going on with their offense. Armando, just let's break down a little bit of what we've seen from uh, Debo and Daniel Jones, I would say the lack of production so far in the last three games. What are your thoughts and what have you seen so far? Well, it's you hit it, Donovan. Lack of production across the board. Right. You've got Daniel Jones, who is a $160 million contract quarterback, playing like he's not. million contract quarterback. That team has zero takeaways this year, Donovan. Zero. You can't win the game if you are not running the ball or passing the ball or taking the ball away as a defense. And one more thing. In every single game that the Giants have played, they've rushed for at least 145 yards. Last night, nope, didn't do that. And obviously, Saquon Barkley missing the game has something to do with that. But they just they, they just got donged by a much better team. It was the contrast was amazing. Well, you know what? When you look at their offense, and, and Damo was supposed to be kind of a QB whisperer, so to speak. I really didn't see that last year. I was looking forward to this upcoming season uh, to see changes in Daniel Jones because I'm just. To be honest with you, not a big Daniel Jones fan. I think I think just since he's been drafted, and even in that draft class, he hasn't separated himself, obviously, to be rewarded with this contract. But I think they gave it to him because they didn't want to give the big splash money to Saquon Barkley. But if you look at the way the offense has been playing, it's been a lack of production in the dropback game, not utilizing the play-action game. And even going back to that very first game of the season, where they tried to run the football and were not able to, that went right back to the quick game. And he was la- the lack of production in the quick game just wasn't there. So I didn't even talk defense. I'm talking more offense. So it reminded me so much of, remember, the same, I want the same energy from everybody who watched the Denver Broncos last year with Russell Wilson when he got his contract. And then you had uh, their new coach brought over because they thought they were going to get Aaron Rodgers and Hackett, but... I thought that they, the world came down on Russell more than they are right now on Daniel Jones. Do you see that same type of approach, or do you see it differently than what than what I've seen? Look, if the world hasn't come down on Daniel Jones yet, trust me, wrath is coming because <laughs> New York don't like what they're seeing. I mean, yesterday, look. Waller is their big off-season acquisition, right? Right, And right. I see Waller running across the field yesterday on a key third down, and Daniel Jones overthrows and throws behind him, having zero pressure, having zero reason why he, as an NFL quarterback, can't complete a pass to a six-foot-five tight end. Uh, <laughs> and, and I get it. Look, I've never played the game. Uh I who am I to say? But he he is getting paid to make that play. Well, it's funny you bring up Waller with twelve catches so far for one hundred thirty-two yards. Yeah, he, he had a key drop in that game, 
and people will highlight that. Yeah, there were a couple inaccurate throws by Daniel Jones, uh, which is kind of somewhat of a rarity in, in those particular throws for him to be behind the receiver. But yet still, the offense is not in rhythm. You're putting all the pressure now on Daniel Jones because you're not running the football. And even if you're not running the football effectively with some of these young quarterbacks, you have to have the attempts high, meaning that means 40 rushes, even though that your offense is still sputtering a little bit, you have to run the football because it softens up the defense a bit where, yeah, you might be able to throw a couple of hitches and slants here to get your quarterback in rhythm to take a little bit of shots in the intermediate and deeper passing game. But I just think the offensively, the Giants right now in shambles, and to be honest with you, I think their season is kind of almost in the pits because I think this is a reoccurring thing for him them to possibly lose about eight or nine games uh, this season, which will get them way out of the playoffs, I believe. And speaking of the playoffs, a team that's going to be in the playoffs, right, right, is the San Francisco 49ers. They've scored 30 points in each of their games. Right. They're good, Donovan. Very, I've decided. Very. They're good. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Armando. Are you on the, the Brock Purdy bandwagon right now? I'm on the San Francisco 49ers have talent everywhere. And, and uh, you know, Brock Purdy is not screwing it up. He, he's right. only asked to make one or two plays per game, and right. he's making them. Right. Uh, he is not asked to put the team on his shoulder. Correct. And carry because that team is loaded with stars. You, you, you held that for about a good three second count. I thought Thank we were going to lose you there. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I look at the San Francisco 49ers. We can talk offense. Yeah. He, I mean, K Kittles to uh, Samuels to McCaffrey, uh, Ayuk. I mean, there's, there's a lot of names that you can bring up. But more importantly, about the San Francisco 49ers. And their identity, to me, is more about their defense. Uh, and bringing Bosa back into camp and getting them back in the fold has done wonders for that defensive line and being able to apply pressure. Yes, the Giants' offense was kind of banged up a little bit. Uh, so, But yet and still, I think with Bosa being back and healthy, now that puts more pressure on opposing quarterbacks in line that their secondary is not able to get as exposed as it would be if you're able to give your quarterback a little bit of time. But just going in that same mentality, how much credit do you give Kyle Shanahan uh, with the way things have gone so far? Man, um, outstanding, right? Mm -hmm. But you and I could call plays for the San Francisco <laughs> 49ers. And you mentioned Bosa. Right. I got news for you. Uh, he's going to get better. This yeah. is, he's just, this is week three for him. So Correct. he's just out of the preseason now. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna get better. And last night, Javon Hargrave was talking about that how he sees that Bosa is ramping up. Right. That, that line, which is very good, is gonna get better. Well, I mean, for me, I, I look at it in the sense too with special teams being a major factor as well. No one really talks about special teams because it's somewhat boring unless you have Devin Hester back there, but. Again, you see how I gave you a little bit of Miami love right there, Armando. Yeah, Won't happen that. a lot. Won't happen a lot. <laughs> but just, <laughs> just, just for the sake of just their division, I mean, right now of what we've seen so far from the San Francisco 49ers, obviously I believe they're going to win that, that, that side of things as far as their conference is concerned, their division. But 
Where would you put them right now in the NFC? Would you put them above Dallas or behind Dallas? Dude, I mean, uh, I picked them to win the Super Bowl. So do I think that they're going to be? Yeah, they're going to be better than Dallas. Okay. Uh, I, I hate to tell you, uh, <laughs> I think they're going to be better than the Philadelphia Fly Eagles fly. And we'll see week 13, though, right? We'll right, see right. week 13. Um, complete. They're complete. And, yes, injuries happen and things can change. And I'm sure that they will. But right now, today, man, it's hard to, to say they're not, they're not the team. Okay, since we've talked a little bit of Dallas and, and what we've seen so far in the first couple games of the season, losing uh, Diggs has been, I think, a, a, such a major hit for their defense and for their team. He's kind of the, besides Michael Parsons, I think he's more of the identity, uh, being more of a gambling, uh, I believe I'm better than your own guy type of approach. He's the guy that is sort of, what we see from that defense and losing him now to an injury uh, is going to be a major hit for them in that secondary. Yes, bringing Gilmore over is going to help, and now it looks a little bit more glorified because of this injury. But just in your eyes, where do you see now this Dallas Cowboys team losing digs and what it will do to that team? Right, so that defense had two dynamic players, right? right. They have Micah Parsons, dynamic player, arguably right. the best defensive player in the NFL. Right. And Diggs, who, you know, like it or not, agree with the way that he can cover or not, test him or not, he comes up with game-changing, drive-killing plays time right. after time. And that's the reason he got a $97 million contract. So right. now you don't have that guy. Deron Bland takes over. Uh, my friend Noah Igbenogany, uh, <laughs> you know, moves up. In the in the in the depth, depth chart. chart, right? Uh, a former first round pick, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So they're lessened, they're diminished, right? And so I, I look at now: does this put more pressure on the offense and McCarthy to be able to play a little bit more ball control uh, offense, meaning running the football a little bit more effectively? by getting about 40, 45 rushes a game and possibly throwing the ball between 28 to 35 times a game uh, to, to control the clock and control the, chain, the chains a little bit to now keep that defense off the field as much. That's kind of the approach that I see going forward. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, Diggs is not Deion Sanders, uh, but Diggs is a major part of the rankings when it comes to corners in this league uh, and kind of definitely deserves the respect that that he deserves in uh, in the league so far. But really, to be honest with you, where do you see the Cowboys as far as where they are in the NFC East? Because the Washington Commanders have really elevated their game. We know about the Philadelphia Eagles. We're not even going to bring the Giants up anymore. But as far as the NFC East is concerned, but where do you see the Dallas Cowboys now with this injury? Yeah, so it, it, it's all about the Eagles and the Cowboys, and I get it. Look, the Commanders, they, they might be 3-0 at the end of this weekend, and they have a great defense. Right. And I was not a big Sam Howell guy at the beginning of the year. He's, he's kind of, sort of 
changing my mind, but not yet. Sorry. It's early. It's it's early, early. Armando. Yeah, right? So I I don't like the recency bias thing. So we're going to wait. And I think ultimately it's going to be the Cowboys and the Eagles, you know, punching each other out (laughs) until the end of the year to see who's who and what's what. Well, again, uh, let's just – Stay on the injury front because I think these are the key injuries. And going over to Cincinnati, you know, with Joe Burrow and the calf injury, uh, we haven't seen uh, the offense kind of explode like we've seen later part of the season, the last two seasons uh, after struggling in the beginning. This now puts the Cincinnati Bengals in a bad situation, if you ask me, because you have a team offensively that's still trying to get a rhythm. Uh, Number two, Joe Nixon is mixing has been playing as well as he needs to, especially in a contract year, so to speak. Uh, Chase and Higgins hasn't had as many opportunities as need be. Uh, and a lot of it goes right back to the quarterback in which you just paid uh, and now suffering an injury. What does this do, not just for the offense, but what does this do now for Zach Taylor and uh, trying to run this, this football team to turn things around? Yeah, I had to look up who their backup is. So that tells you everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's not Andy Dalton. It's some, you didn't know it's not. <laughs> some guy named Brownie who's thrown one NFL pass. And so, uh, you know, my man, Joe Burrow, doesn't play. My team, Cincinnati Bengals, they're not going to be good. And my question to you is, have you ever had an injury like that? I mean, obviously, you've you've dealt with, uh, injuries during your career ever had a calf injury you know what yes i did um but let me let me go jake browning is uh his only one year of experience in the nfl from the washington washington huskies but i have had the injury now take it the injury that i think he suffered i've had in my 40s um and it's a little bit di- <laughs> it's right. a little bit different in my 40s uh, i'm relating now yeah you know what i mean uh, but but for a calf injury, I've had it not on football, but more for basketball. And I think when you suffer a calf injury at this particular point of where we are in the world uh, in 20, the 2020s, um, people are, are so afraid of that leading to the Achilles, a la what we've seen from Aaron Rodgers and Kevin Durant. So when you think of the calf injury, and it depends on where it is in the calf, and if he's able to get that mobility in his ankle and in his foot, uh, then you know, okay, it's not as bad as we think. And I'm sure they've done the MRI and got a chance to check on that. But as far as a quarterback is concerned who has mobility, it kind of hampers them a little bit and to the point where you worry, should we play him or should we sit him? And in my eyes, I think he should sit out this game to allow him to recover to possibly get back to maybe 85, 95% for the following week. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no. So that worry part, man, that's got to be a big deal because, I mean, if so I had a calf injury once upon a time, not playing NFL football. <laughs> and I remember playing pickup basketball. I didn't play right. for four weeks. Exactly. And, and the first time I came back, I had to pray to get through and – and every time that I did something, I was thinking, did I just do something? Did I just pop something? Did I? Did something just happen? And right. so it's got to be on his mind. It has to be now. This is not calf injury number one. It's calf injury number two. And right. your point about 
you know, the Achilles, that's a great point. I hope he's not thinking of that. But that well, is a I great point. It's funny. It's funny because, remember, back in the day, it was never a thought in our, in our head. You get a calf injury, it's like, ah, we'll ice and stem it. We'll work the mobility. We'll stretch it out on a slant board. Uh, you know, we'll do a little light jogging, maybe in the water uh, to work ourselves back on the field. And then you're back in probably two, three weeks. Now there's so much of a precaution of, um, you know, of, oh, wait, you know, is it more of an Achilles? Where's the location? What's his what's his explosion like? Is he is he kind of favoring it a little bit? Uh, and in this regard, I love the fact that they are playing, you know, the cautious role. But yet and still, where we are right now in the season, I think it's important for them to focus a little bit more on getting him back at 100% healthy or at least close to it uh, and then getting him back out on the field for him to at least help, help this offense. I think Browning, for Zach Taylor, with Browning, if you allow him to just get out quick game, screen game, run the football, take the pressure out of his hands, it at least helps your offense and which will then lead, lead to helping your whole team be successful at least for the next three weeks. Your thoughts? Uh, no, I, I'm totally with you. Look, uh, if I'm the Cincinnati Bengals, I'm already 0-2. Right. I, I just decide, you know, my quarterback's future, he's the highest paid player in the NFL. That's Correct. more important. And I, if he's healthy, healthy, we can sneak into the playoffs as a wild card, and then people will have to, you know, contend with us. But if he plays this one game – and has that, you know, you know, the re-aggravation thing. Right. This is a, a lingering issue. And now we're not sneaking into anything except high in the draft. Well, let, let's let's talk about sneaking in because let's change the gears a little bit going over to what's going to be so exciting about our Saturday football with college football. I mean, we have so many big games and I'll mention Syracuse and Clemson. Yes, that is happening. Uh, tomorrow, make, make sure make sure you tune in to that particular game. I got it first before you even threw in Miami, Armando. So, uh, no, they're playing Temple. There's nothing happening with Miami. <laughs> but, I mean, when you think about UCLA and Utah, Alabama, Ole Miss, Ohio State, Notre Dame, uh, Colorado and Oregon, uh, the list goes on. But more importantly, what game will you be watching and then give me your thoughts on what game will help or hurt the rankings coming out next the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so I think the game of the week uh, is Ohio State-Notre Dame, right? I mean, that right. is like number six visiting number nine. Right. And, you know, touchdown Jesus will be attending. And <laughs> it, it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's, Did he get it's, a ticket? Did he get a ticket? He does, dude. He doesn't need one. He's signing. He's got the best seat in the house. Um, you know, so that one is huge. Uh, FSU is going to spank Clemson and show them that the ACC no longer belongs to them. Um, and obviously, we're going to be watching Prime. We, we got to be watching Prime, right? Yeah. We're going to go to Oregon uh, tomorrow evening. So gotta watch that. Well, it's funny, yeah. It, FSU Clemson. I brought up Syracuse Clemson because that's that's next week. Because I don't think that this Florida State Clemson game uh, is going to be as big. Because I think, to be honest with you, uh, I say that because 
I think the two teams that are on the downslide are Clemson and Alabama. And so when I look at the Florida State and Clemson game, I think Florida State will have the upper hand. I love what Travis has been able to do. Uh, I think he's a guy that's really emerging in the draft uh, this this season. And I think offensively what I've seen so far going to that first game of the year with Florida State uh, versus LSU, I think they have more athletes and a better structure from an offensive standpoint uh, to be successful in this particular game. Uh, the Alabama Ole Miss game is interesting because nobody really been talking about Ole Miss, but they'll they'll talk about this game because of Lane Kiffin and and Saban and their their relationship and where it's at right now. Uh, Alabama is kind of irrelevant if you ask me at this particular point. They're not the same Alabama, and Ole Miss hasn't been um, the type of team that we could talk about when it comes to more top five, top eight teams in the country. Uh, but I look at that Notre Dame Ohio State game. Because you have a young quarterback for Ohio State with a lot of weapons on the offensive end, uh, possibly have about three to four first-rounders on that offense, and you're asking a young guy, McCord, to step in and lead this team. Uh, and defensively, remember they've had issues early parts of years, uh, and I think they still have those issues. Just watching the game uh, last weekend where they were giving up a lot of uh, the intermediate passing game, which ended up being more explosive plays. And early on, it was more of a struggle for Ohio State. But I think this is a big game for Notre Dame. Very big game for Notre Dame. Because now, if they win this game, now that puts them in the talk where they should be up in that top five, top six uh, conversation with, with some of these teams in college football. And what it does for that program, this would be the biggest win, I think, in over the last 20 years for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So that leads me to two things, right? Number one, um, I, I need I need the story from Uncle Donovan yes. about his first college start or his first road game because that's exactly what the Ohio State quarterback is facing. And then I got a a, a Nick Saban question for you, man. It's the question that every is on everybody's mind. Well, my very first start was against the North Carolina uh, Tar Heels. And my whole kind of mentality that whole week was I've always wanted to go to North Carolina. I wanted to be a Tar Heel because Michael Jordan went there, being in Chicago. I'm a big Bulls fan, seeing myself wearing the baby blue. Uh, was one of my favorite colors growing up. Uh, and to have the opportunity to start in Chapel Hill and against the North Carolina Tar Heels was it was a dream come true, but yet and still as a redshirt freshman at the time uh, with Marvin Harrison at wide receiver uh, and a slew of other talented players. Yes, uh, we went into that game, felt like we knew we could win that game and we prepared well, had a great week of practice. I was told uh, four days before the game that I would be the starter. Uh, so the mentality changed. But as the game went along, you started to see a little bit more of what you needed to read. And early on, everything's moving fast pace. You're just trying to settle down. You're trying to get focused on, on the preparation and, and reading your keys. By the second half, we blew that game out. And we blew that game uh, that to the proportion, to the way of getting Marvin the ball. They could not stop Marvin. And they had Dre, Dre Bly and and all these young, young, talented players over there. But Marvin Harrison was just bar none, and he's a Hall of Famer. But 
what he was able to do with our offense put us in a position. Now, going, I won't bring the years up, going forward, who's the wide receiver for <laughs> at Ohio State? Marvin Harrison Jr. But, you know, he's the security blanket for McCourt. And then they have the other receivers that are also possible first-rounders. So I think at least for him in, in that situation with Notre Dame, it'll be big. Um, but yet and still, I think he's going to take the pressure off of their young quarterback. And you know that SEC football, uh, moving on, has been synonymous with one team right? Uh, up until the last two years, uh, right. Alabama. And yep. one coach, and that's Nick Saban. Now Georgia is taking over. But do you think – and you mentioned how that game is not that big a deal to you anymore. Do you believe Nick Saban has lost it? I wouldn't say that he's lost it or he's behind. I would. The thing is this. Where we are in college football, it's almost to the point where coaches are behind in the times. And remember, over the last 10 years, so to speak, the thing that Nick Saban tried to do was he tried to catch up to the times and get ahead. Remember the off the fast-paced offense, which he fired his offensive coordinator, and then he brought in uh, a new coordinator. Then he went with Lane Kiffin to try to throw more splash type of plays. Fire, fire Lane Kiffin. He gets a job somewhere else at FAU, I believe. Then then Sarkeesian is the, quarter, the quarterback and offensive coordinator. Then he, you know, he moves on from him and what Nick Saban has been able to do is he's been able to adjust to the times. But I think what we're seeing right now is the recruiting is not the same. Remember, we haven't heard much as far as Nick Saban being involved in a transfer portal like Colorado, like some of these other schools, because he's, he's been able to get the five and four star players. Majority of his five star players are leaving Alabama to go other places. So I think right now, at least for, I would say more for the next two years, maybe three, there'll be a, a fight to get back up to relevancy where we're used to seeing Alabama. But it's just not going to happen at this particular point. So let me run a, a theory by you, okay? I have this theory. You know that Nick Saban and Bill Belichick are tight. They're very close friends. They've been, Right, exactly. The reason that Nick Saban is failing now is the same exact reason that Bill Belichick is failing now. It's not that Nick Saban forgot how to coach. It's not that Bill Belichick forgot how to coach. It's that in New England, general manager Bill Belichick has failed <laughs> head coach uh, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, the general manager, went to Georgia and he saw Sony Michelle and he saw Nick Chubb and he picked Sony Michelle. He needed a wide receiver. He went to uh, Ole Miss and he saw A.J. Brown and he saw D.K. Metcalf and he took in that draft. Who? Nakeel Harry. Arizona State. Yeah, okay, but <laughs> I mean, I love Arizona State and all that, but A.J. Brown, my brother. AJ, right. A.J. Brown. And so you look at their drafts from like 17 to about 20, 
You can't name a stud off of those drafts. And right now, Nick Saban is suffering the same problem. He doesn't have a quarterback. He doesn't have the talent on defense that he used to. The general manager of the Alabama Crimson Tide, Nick Saban, is failing the head coach. Well, let, let me go ahead and dig dig into that. It, it is funny that you say that because their mentalities are very similar. And I won't go into the A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf mistake. Um, I won't go into the Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb mistake. But it's very similar, and it's funny that you bring that up. Because let's be honest. Let's take Bryce Young out of the, out of the equation. Name an Alabama quarterback that's been truly successful uh, in the NFL. And don't go as far as Joe Namath. <laughs> but name, <laughs> name, name, name a successful well, I, quarterback that has been successful in the NFL. You really can't. Well, right now, well, you, right now Tua. Tua? Uh, well, okay. But, but they're still young. Like Tua, yeah. Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Um, you know, they're all still Mac, – Mac Jones, they're still young. Ooh. But, I mean, if you go – before them, and that was all one draft. That was all one one recruiting class, just about. That was like yeah. the one and two year difference of the recruiting class. And yep. so it's the same with Bill Belichick. He when he had a, a big name quarterback, like he had Drew Bledsoe, he had a little bit of success. But Tom Brady wasn't a big name quarterback coming out, you know, and he fell into that one. And so it goes again to yes, he gets a lot of these four or five stars but they don't really blow up the way we expect it to. And when you look at their receiving core, even in that Tua rookie uh, recruiting class, Judy and and all these other top-name receivers that were in that whole rookie class, but now it's starting to go the other way because all these other teams are starting to do what Nick Saban was doing, and he's not able to pull in those guys. So I, I just think for college football and where we are right now, and I put Clemson in that mode, too, because I think Clemson has been struggling over the last couple of years. But we just de- we decided as viewers and the media to come down on DJ, their quarterback is now at Oregon State and blame him for everything. But they didn't have the full athletes like they had before. You know, Trevor Lawrence is a he's a generational talent. Don't get me wrong. Deshaun Watson was a generational talent. But other than that. Their recruiting classes haven't been the same. Those guys have transferred out and gone somewhere else. So now we're talking transfer portal. Let's talk a little bit about what we're going to expect out of Colorado and Oregon because Dion has changed the landscape of college football. The conversation now is not really leading us until Sunday football. We can't wait for this weekend's college football games, and we mentioned a few of them. But what does this do for Sadur Sanders versus Bo Nix. Does this now elevate him in that Heisman, higher Heisman rank and in the draft boards? So, I'm sorry. I miss the Bo Nix's good bust. I, I, I you know, I, I, I guess covering the NFL, I look at it through NFL lenses. Right. Bo Nix is not going to be a, 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 he'll be functional maybe. But I don't think he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. I miss the he's really good. I mean, I get it. He's 31 years old or whatever he is, <laughs> and he's played for 17 seasons. I get that. Awesome Bo Nix, Colorado, lots of talent. But is he good? Uh, and we're talking like he's good? 
He had a decent. He had a, a very good year last year. Had him in the Heisman race until the last two games of the two three games of the season. Uh, but he's been he's been beyond serviceable since he went out to Oregon. I'll say that. Is he good? Is he good? He's is he he's okay. He's he's not. Uh -huh. He's he's yeah. a little better than good. He's a little better than good. Beyond serviceable. I love it. <laughs> okay. So so my point is. Yeah, uh, Oregon's got more talent than Colorado, I, I right. guess, I think. Right now, yes. Uh, by the way, did you know that Oregon beat, like, Portland State 81-7? to And and then Portland State beat some team called North America 91 to nothing. And could you imagine Oregon playing North American? <laughs> oh, oh, my. Yikes. Hey. Yikes. They, you know, colleges are playing these games where they're they're paying these schools and getting easy wins. They're trying to find a way to get to that that eighth win, eight nine wins of the season. So, does Dion show himself as the great coach that he's get, getting portrayed as? Because now he's got a lesser team. He really does have a lesser right. team, right? Less talent, less experience. Uh, you know, all that. Can he raise that team to an upset? I I think he can, and they have the ability to do so with their coaching staff. Uh, and I think the players are buying in. And I say that not just because of what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. I'm taking that out. I'm looking more of what I've seen from a talent standpoint, and I'm seeing from a structure and coaching standpoint. I think they can compete with Oregon and beat Oregon. The thing about Oregon is Oregon is more of a splash play type of offense. It, there is no methodical run the ball, football, run the screen, hey, hit a slant. No, everything for Oregon that stands out that we've seen, it's a deep ball for 18 to 25. It's uh, throwing a receiver screen that goes for 60. Uh, it's, you know, being able to, for Bo Nix, getting outside the pocket and utilizing his athletic ability and throwing a, a scramble drill pass uh, for a guy for 50 yards. It's never been about turnaround handoff. It's never been play action, hey, hit a 12-yard dig route. It's never about that with, with Oregon, and it's not that way now. But I think when it comes to what we've seen from Colorado, everything is methodical. And I think it comes down to Shador, to be honest with you, protecting the football. They protect the football in Colorado, and they create those opportunities, uh, and he at least connects on 50% of those opportunities downfield. I think Colorado has a chance of winning. I'm just a little bit worried about Colorado's defensive front. Now, they're not big. They're more about speed than size. So I'm worried about that. But again, like I talked about, Oregon's not about turning around, handing the ball off, and letting their running backs run for 30 attempts a game. It's more about more play action, boom, boom, boom. Everything's about getting it out, you know, to the sideline, sideline, and then taking those shots. You get that guy off his mark, Bo Nix is toast. <laughs> He's better than he was, at least in the early years of, of Auburn. I will say that. He's better than that. Now, that's not saying... He's he's a top three quarterbacks in college, but he's better than he was in his early years at at Auburn. I will say that.
Okay, I, I, I give you that. You're the expert. <laughs> I, maybe next Tuesday we're here and Bo Nix threw for 400 yards and I like have to eat a, a huge hat. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But I mean, let let's let's just get to one more one more question about Dion because I think yeah, let's go beyond the X's and O's. Let's go beyond the on field. But what has he done right now for the more the attention of what college coaches are all about when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to mentality of players, and when it comes to now structure structuring a university, not just the football team, but the university to bring everybody together for a, a college event? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, huge question. But me being 79 years old, I... I <laughs> hey, you look I, great for 79 too, Armando. Thank you look very great. much. I, I have trouble with all the, the let's decide quick what, what a certain guy is after right. three weeks. And and let's let's have this recency bias. We talked about it earlier about what he means in the grand scope of things forever and ever. Look, I mean, we agreed last week he has changed college football because right. of what he's done with the transfer portal and how he's made high school players a little bit irrelevant. But did he invent the forward pass? I mean, did he did he like? Did he like invent the spread option or the zone read? Did he like do what the wonderful University of Miami did in the late 70s, early 80s and go pro style when everybody was running triple option and veer and all that crap? I don't know that that's happened yet. Well, I'm not saying it in that regard. I'm saying I'm saying more of how, you know, and going back to when we were in college, I'm sure that was back when we all had leather helmets and. You know, everything was a little bit different. But just galvanizing a university, the student body, the administrative staff, um, and getting everybody on board for what a new coach and bringing in new culture to a university that hasn't had success over a decade and to getting them to buy all in into just this year's football season I haven't seen or heard of anything like that. Maybe, maybe to go back to Nebraska with with their coach, or I mean, I can't Miami. I thought this is the second time I'm saying oh. Miami, which is the last time I probably said. But the <laughs> Miami, the Miami Hurricanes, and think about this: before Jimmy Johnson, you know, when when he was able, was it was it Schottenheimer? Who, who was it? Who? Schnellenberger. 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 When he was able to have the university and administrative staff and everybody in Miami to buy it, buy back into the Hurricanes and the recruiting class that he brought in with, I think, Highsmith and all those guys that we've seen on 30 for 30. But what he was able to do and change that university around to become a competitive national championship winning type of university. I haven't seen that since then, and now what Dion has done, he's shown that that's kind of the way you have to go about it. Correct? You're not giving it to Saban in 2007. You're not but, doing that. But Alabama, Alabama at least was a little bit relevant at that time when Nick Saban came in. A little bit, just Mike a little Shula. bit. Because remember, 
we didn't know we didn't hear much about Schellenberg. We didn't hear about him. But Nick, we oh. knew won championships at LSU. Yeah. So coming from LSU and Michigan State, like he was winning. And so that was a name. Dion came from Jackson State. Fair. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. So what does Dion do when he loses? Because that's gonna be a test now. Well, I think Dion stays the same, but what type of energy will the media bring to Dion? Because it seems like half of the media is not rah rah for Colorado. Half of the media is waiting for what you just brought up for them to lose and see how he handles it. And I think Dion still stays the same, at least from what I know as of, of Dion and and knowing him as the person, he stays the same. Dion won't change for anybody. People need to know that. He won't change for anybody. What about me tells you that I am going to quit or something like that? That was his quote, right? There you go. There yeah. you go. So, yeah. I mean, let's let's just stay in, in that whole arena and let's, let's get back into the NFL because we got a lot of big games uh, in the NFL. Um, where do you see right now? Let's go to the, the AFC South. And we, we talked a little bit about you know what we seen from the the Miami Dolphins. Where where is the New England Patriots in your eyes? <laughs> in last place, where they are going to be? I mean, right? GM so Bill is, Belichick failing. Right, right. No so dynamic what does this mean for Mac Jones? What does this mean for Mac Jones? Is this a make a break year for Mac Jones? Um. Well, the thing is, they're going to fail, but not fail enough. You you know, to be in the running for uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the draft, you got to be bad, really right. bad. So maybe, I don't know, maybe Kirk Cousins next year, maybe somebody else. But otherwise, you're going to get more of Mac Jones. And I know you don't like Kirk Cousins. I get you. Uh, <laughs> like but. But he's better than Mac Jones, no? I mean, he's better than Mac Jones. Well, they don't have dynamic receivers, Donovan. But but remember, when let's take Randy Moss out, Randy Moss, and and I'll even I'll include Wes Walker and and Julia Edelman. They weren't outstanding receivers before they got to New England, right? They became Whoa. major part of the offense, and so I think they traded. For Wes Welker, when he was with the Dolphins, they traded like a fifth or sixth round pick or something for Wes Welker. And Julian Edelman was a quarterback in college, which he was brought on, and he almost didn't make the team when he was the second punt returner. And then Wes Welker moved on, so Edelman moved right into the slot. But every time he's had a chance of bringing a big name in, Chad Ochocinco, um, he's had you know Randy Moss, he's had some other guys that he thought would fit, it just didn't work out. And that's not the type of offense that he likes to run where it's featuring that receive, that big-time receiver. Then he's a fool because, uh, I mean, even with arguably, and in my estimation, the greatest quarterback of all time, like in 2019, they didn't have dynamic receivers. They had Tom Brady, and they could not move the ball late in the season, and they could not move the ball in the playoffs against Tennessee. 2006, same thing. And so he saw it in 2006. And in 2007, 
he went and got Randy Moss and he went and traded for Wes Welker and then they blew up. But you can't, Donovan, you know better than anybody. Yeah. You can't, you, the quarterback can not throw the ball to himself. True. You, you got to have guys. I need to ask you a serious, serious question. There we go. Jalen Hurts has been outplayed in both games by the opposing quarterback that he's played. What's up with Jalen Hurts? Hey, a win is a win. And if you are not turning the football over consecutively, uh, if you're uh, not getting the chains moving and getting first downs, then yes, then we can start to kind of look at uh, the quarterback. But I look at this offense as kind of a – it's a slow start, but adjustment kind of a period. Because, again, they didn't play in the preseason. Again, this is a new offensive coordinator. Uh, and, again, everyone is looking for that explosive play. But what they're trying to do from what I've seen is they're trying to run the football with their running backs a lot more now to take the pressure off of Jalen from running 15 to 17 times a game. Yes, he's going to have his eight rushes on a couple scrambles and some called runs, and I think they need to do that to keep their offensive flowing. But their offensive philosophy is different, and it's going to continue to be different when Gainwell gets back, where now you can split the the running game between the two. I think both need at least 18 touches, and Boston Scott at least get about five to six. And now you throw the ball 25, 28 times a game with your quarterback, and you'll begin to be successful. I think that's a recipe for success for Philadelphia. So Todd Bowles is a pretty intelligent human being. I'm I'm friends of Todd Bowles. I love Todd Bowles. He knows what you just said. He right. heard you. He understands. Right. So he's going to do what? He's going to force the Eagles uh, to throw the ball because he wants them to throw the ball. Fair? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and 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 that's when he's able to do the whole blitz thing and, and be Todd Bowles. Right. So basically, he's going to say, okay, I'm going to stop the run and do what I need to do. Now beat me throwing the ball, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. But I'm going to tell you this, Armando. I watched that Chicago Bears game. You leave those receivers open from Philadelphia like you left the receivers open for Chicago. Jalen Hurst throws for 350. And, and that's the difference of the two. If you're trying to – Force the quarterback to throw the ball like you tried to do with Justin with Justin Fields. If you do that to Philadelphia, you find yourself on the bad end of it all. And believe me, that defense will peel their ears back and start slobbing at the mouth of trying to get at Baker Mayfield. Because that defensive line is fierce. And Carter and Cox and Graham, they will find themselves in that backfield. And I think this is the game for Philadelphia that it will be a double-digit win and they will have that explosion game versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I can't let this podcast end, podcast end <laughs> without you telling me your thoughts on Justin Fields because you brought him up yep. and it's been a week for the Chicago Bears. Yeah, it's it's been a week for the Bears. Uh, I think Justin kind of uh, got a little bit deep in the conversation where he didn't have to bring up the coaches. He didn't have to bring up anything else besides just holding himself accountable. Uh, and he did a great job of holding himself accountable. And the thing about Justin Fields to me is he's so super passionate that sometimes when he continues to talk 
as he goes along, then he'll start to add things into that conversation that people kind of take out. But if you heard the full, full press conference, he wasn't pointing the fingers at anyone. He was mentioning that we all have to play better and that for him, he has to be free and loose. The same thing that I've been told throughout my career with Andy of just be loose and free. Hey, if you see it, get it out. If you don't see it, use your legs. And I think he has to get back to that style of play. Now, don't get me wrong. He still needs to read the defense and get the ball out quick if the receiver's open. But they also need to help him by calling some running plays, calling some plays where he can get outside the pocket to be more of a threat on the defense. And they have not been able to do that for him in the last three games. So I just think for the coaching staff, yes, it's some heat on the coaching staff. Is there heat on, on Justin Fields? Absolutely. But there's also heat on that offensive line and the rest of the football team because their defense is not good. From what we've seen over the last couple of years of what their defense was, their defense is nowhere near they, what they were a couple of years ago. Yeah, the entire focus is on the entire organization and not right. just just the fields because your general manager improved the team and this week said, we have a good roster. Well, you're 0-2, so right. what's up with that? <laughs> and the head coach is now the defensive coordinator as well because the defensive coordinator went off, you know, to do whatever. We uh, won't go into that. Yeah, and, and the quarterback is talking about I got to do better, and the coach has got too much stuff in my head. And, right. you know, I, I'm just confused. It's all this stuff. And, oh, by the way, you got a game on Sunday, and you got to put that stuff to the side, you no, know, and, and, and play some ball because you're in trouble. Well, you know what? I think for both of us, uh, we're going to take a little breath of fresh air and be free like Justin Fields says he's going to be free and continue to use our legs at this situation and keep this thing moving. We'll be back. Join us here on Tuesday here at the Five Spot. Make sure you tune in because we got a lot more explosive conversation coming up.